We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to zoom out of the current season because Pau Gasol retired from basketball today. And I was so glad that immediately after the Lakers and Jeannie Buss wrote a wonderful message to, to this point that we're going to be retiring his his jersey. In some ways, it's like it feels like an end of an era for me his retirement. Before we talk about him as a player, though, Mike, your first few years with the team overlapped with Powell. And when you look back on his career and those times and those years together, what do you think of when you think back on those days? Well, as a person, he's one of my handful of favorite players ever uh, that I've ever been around. And I'm not the only one, which is kind of goes to show you what kind of a guy he is and what kind of guy he always is, right? Every day. Um, super consistent in his personality, super consistent in his graciousness, um, in his intelligence, in his friendliness, uh, in really just the whole way that he's composed. I, I like I think back to the way that he described his parents, um, mother, a doctor and father worked in hospitals and just that there was a grounding there that was always in him. And then he just happened to grow into this seven foot plus frame with these amazingly delicate and skilled hands and this uh he emerged and, and built some muscle on top of that and some power and he moved gracefully so he he just was this really sort of unique complete person and complete athlete and i'll i'll always kind of start there with power it's just what a great guy he was to be around and easily uh, in my top five favorite guys Thoughtfulness is a word that I don't think is used enough in sports um, because we don't often view athletes through that lens, right? Like they're competitors and they're out to win the game and they're going to do anything they can to win. And there's this idea, I think, that we we view athletes through that lens almost like, and I think as Lakers fans, we're maybe more prone to this because of um, 
especially if you're Lakers fans of of a certain age, because of the way that Kobe sort of influenced our worldview around a basketball team yeah. and what competing looks like. Um, but Pau Gasol was a thoughtful basketball player, and he was a thoughtful person. Um, and he is a thoughtful person, but as a basketball player, that thoughtfulness, I think, permeated through everything that he did on the court. And I think it was reflected in the type of teammate that he was. I think it was reflected in how he passed and moved the ball and wanted to make the right basketball play and was there for his teammates and was respectful of his coaches and the environment that he played in. Um, even at times when I thought he maybe had the right to be a little bit more outraged or a little bit more upset and the way that he carried himself as a human being, I think, and the way that permeated through and the way that he brought sort of his whole self to being a basketball player. That's sort of what I wanted to sort of hit to hit on first when, yeah. when I think about Powell as a player and as a person, because you can't really separate those two things to me. Um, whereas like a guy like Kobe, it was like on the court, I'm this and off the court, I'm that. I don't think it was like that for Powell. And he's a special person because of that to me. That completeness, um, that's a really a, a perfect lens to look at him through. And they're different men of different backgrounds, but I, as I see Kareem getting older and I see the causes that Pow takes up, you know, there's a, a certain compassion for the world and view view of it through a bunch of different lenses, historical, humanitarian, um, you know, and seeing sports as a vehicle to help achieve you know and make make the world a better place that uh i don't know as a as a laker it's i like i'm proud to call Pau Gasol a laker you know like it, it it's like it's one of those things like i'm really glad that guy is on our side you know and that he he represents the very best of of us and the spirit of collaboration and the um he got better that's as we get into the basketball uh, talk. I really want to emphasize Powell's growth and where Powell started at, and he had all of these tools and all of this talent. So, Darius, let, let's let's start with there, right? Like the the let's talk early Powell, early year years of Powell. Those uh, those Memphis teams, you know, with Shane Battier, they had some good squads that they made it to the first round, but I think they got swept three times. I don't think he won a playoff game. Uh, in, with them, but they were good. They were solid teams, right? And they were led by a, a young Pau Gasol, who was a different player than the one that he eventually became with the Lakers. Drafted by the Hawks, traded to the Grizzlies, um, I think for Sharif Abdurrahim. Um, I think the Grizzlies won that trade, right? Um, in terms of what their the scope of their careers were, um, Gasol ended up being the better player. And, and this was a time, too, where it was still sort of like, what kind of big men are Europe, is Europe producing, right? And this idea of this sort of skinny, rangy forward that wasn't necessarily a shooter like mm -hmm. Dirk was, right? right? And, and the idea, I think, in the same way that we always, that early on in his career, at least, that we viewed Dirk through the lens of toughness, I think... 
Gasol got critiqued very much the same way, but maybe even more so because he was he was more of a back to the basket player or a post-up player. He was not a perimeter-oriented big. And so that idea of how tough are you and can you win with him as your best player were things that started very early in his career, even as he flashed a lot of skill. So one thing to add on to that about Powell is that he was awesome right away. And he was still seen, and there were some Euros, right, that had come over and that the there was this i don't know what the way to uh the way to describe it but their executives weren't necessarily giving european players the benefit of the doubt uh and That's right. so yeah. so pow his rookie year 17.6 points on 52% nine rebounds almost three assists two blocks like really good right away he plays all 82 games right he starts 79 of them like that's a that's an awesome rookie year uh, out of a guy that you know, at the time, still, people weren't really going online and watching a ton of clips, you know, of players. And he was also, he was 21. It wasn't like he was some some player that had been a pro for a, a long time. Now, I get, you're a pro for longer, obviously, because you, you can be a pro as a teenager there. But still, he wasn't playing um, at the highest levels of Europe for a, t- a long time. And so I, I just think that it's important to remember, as much as Pau developed and sort of turned into a champion, uh, eventually, like Pete, he... He was really, really damn good right away. It was a testament to his skill level. He's one of the more skilled bigs entering the league in terms of just the complete package that he had. Uh, It was fun to reminisce today, you know, when he announced his retirement and just going back and watching pal footage and just the ability to jump hook over the left shoulder, the jump hook over the right shoulder off of the drop step, all of the different footworks, and then an understanding on... So it was that built on top of an understanding of where he fit within that five on five that most guys at that age, especially making that leap, Mike, going from overseas to the NBA, it was one of the more seamless transitions for for a player coming from Europe. Even Dirk started out his rookie year. Dirk didn't do much. And that was usually the case with European players, whereas Powell is one of those guys where he came over right away and it was a testament to kind of I think he he helped foster in this era of skilled bigs and what it meant to yeah. be a skilled big in, in this era. And so, yeah, just that I, I was, uh, it really speaks to his level of skill. Yeah. And so when we now reflect back upon his whole career and we see the point that he got to Kobe and Pete, you mentioned the early good playoff teams, but never good enough to win, uh, you know, a lot of games and certainly a series. So what was that and how, what does that tell us about Powell? And I think a couple of things. So he wasn't a a completely just dominant physical presence, uh, especially early, where if you had him on the team, like everything had to run through him and he was just going to dominate and go for the neck. He he was a very cerebral player, like he wanted to pass the ball. He wanted to play basketball the right way. He doesn't necessarily approach it in a way that like an Embiid does now or Shaq is certainly the is kind of the the opposite of this. Right. Where if Shaq's on the team, like it's going through Shaq. And you're probably going to win because that's the level of the dominance. Like Pau did need a certain type of teammate. And that's why, like, I immediately think of Kobe, you know, right after I say yeah. Pau. And, and Darius, you might want to touch some more just on Pau. But I just thought that was such a perfect marriage for of personality um, and skill set and the way that Kobe was able to drive him some. And then how Pau 
brought like Pa brought out some more from Kobe as well, if that was ever needed, right? Which, yeah. which I guess we know it wasn't. So I I, I don't mean to link them uh, for it and kick it to you, Darius, but that's the I, I can't go much further, right? When I'm starting to think about his career and think about where he was in the in the instance of his rosters and how things did change when in his you know he was what 26 when he got I guess he was 27 when he was 27 uh, when he got traded and that uh, that just opened up a whole different thing. Pow is one of the original examples that I've used in terms of slotting and how it can impact a team when you are properly slotted into the right role for you, right? And the the domino effect that that had for the Lakers roster was um, super important as well, right? And so Pow was not a number, he was not a 1A guy. He could sometimes be a 1B, but he was more of a classic number two to me. He was a guy who could score, um, and as a big man, he could rebound. He could do all of the big man type type things, but when it came right down to it, you wanted a pure alpha number one guy next to him, particularly as a scoring option in order to highlight the best parts of Powell's game, which then would be symbiotic to the best parts of that player's game. And that's why it is true that you can't go too far down a discussion about Powell Gasol without bringing up Kobe. And not just because of the ways that Kobe allowed Powell to play to the best version of himself, but the way that how allowed Kobe to play to the best version of himself as well. Kobe wasn't Kobe wasn't an easy guy to play with, right? Like he was uncompromising. That's part of what we love about Kobe is that he was so principled in in how how he saw things, how he thought things should be. But that can lead to a lot of uh, to conflict. It can lead to things not working out a certain way. And so Powell's ability to work with that and see uh, f- uh, from different perspectives, Mike, isn't something that just every highly skilled player has. Yeah. And for how this is the funny thing when, about Powell, for how skilled he was and how he could clearly score from multiple levels. And this is before, like, had he had the game, uh, had he started his career 15 years later, he would have been, been able right. to shoot threes, you know, and he would have been a whole nother, like he could have been a space five, in a playmaker in a certain sense, a lot of the way that, that Jokic now operates right from the top, except mm-hmm. move him out even five more feet. And like that. So that part of it is interesting to me and in that he never averaged 20 points once he got to the Lakers. Now, a lot of that had to do with Kobe and he was right there. He was at like 18.9, you know, but he, this is not a guy that like had to eat all the time and that had to get a certain amount of touches. You know, he took his first year with Kobe he only took 12.9 shots per game. That's not a lot, you know, That's especially for a guy of his skill set, Pete. And part of, that's part of what made him such a natural fit is Kobe was an indomitable player at that time. You had to dedicate two, three guys to him, like two and a half, right? Two guys that, you know, you're jumping that screen and you've got a third in case that he turns the corner. And one of Powell's really elite skills, Darius, when I wish I had understood basketball then as as I do now, right? But that's part of the, the joy of watching this progress over the years. And Powell is part of the story and part of the education, right? That helps you 
understand the game more and more as the years go by. But I look back at Pau and from watching him today, that idea of advantage extension, he was wonderful at that. He was so often right in the middle of the floor. We think of him, uh, you know, he had that ability to pair with Bynum, but also those lineups with Odom. And that's those are the groups that I think of that trio, that Kobe Powell Lamar trio. And Powell is so often right in the middle of the floor there where they're sending two at Kobe. Kobe's making a jump pass over the top. And now Powell is in that four on three short roll. And he could do everything you needed to do out of that and was able to process those situations very quickly. And so in some ways, what we uh, what we love about Draymond's game offensively in, in those situations, Powell was a, an example of that also with that little mid-range jumper. He was one of the first malleable big men that could be everything you needed him to be, regardless of what the personnel around him was. And yeah, he had a level of ball handling that I think the guys before him didn't quite get to, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that he was really center-sized. So yes. it's one thing to be like, Great oh, point. you're yeah, right. you're six foot nine, right? Like, and like, we're gonna call you our center, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I think of a guy like Blake Griffin, right? So Blake Griffin, when he came into the league and what he evolved into, was very much sort of a the chemistry that Blake had with DeAndre Jordan for, for example, was a very similar chemistry that Pau Gasol might have with um, with Andrew Bynum. Right. And that idea of being able to play out of a pick and roll or out of a situation where the guard is is drawing ex, extra attention. And in Blake Griffin's case, it was Chris Paul. And right. in Powell's case, it was Kobe. And then when you get the ball in the middle of the floor, that idea of every single pass or play that needs to be made, he has that. Yes. Not only in his bag, he's but, good at it. But instinctively, he also knows which tool to pull out in yes. what instance in order to punish the defense most, right? No hesitation. And so there was a sequence, and I can't remember the game, I can't remember the year. I just remember that the way that this particular team was covering the pick and roll between Kobe and Powell was basically just a dumb way to continue to play it. Right. Because you're chasing over the top of Kobe and then Powell was slipping into the short roll area and Kobe was hitting Powell with a pocket bounce pass every single time as the big was as the defensive big was in a drop coverage. Right. And Bynum is in the right hand dunker spot and Kobe is coming off to his right hand pick pick and roll. Right. And so. On multiple possessions, consecutive possessions, Powell slipped into the dunker spot and then he threw the lob, right? So I think it was two lobs and now it's just like, okay, well now we're going to take away the lob. And so then Powell sprays corner, right, as help sinks down from the corner in order to help take away that lob, then Powell sprays, sprays corner, open three. Next possession, now defense is totally confused. Powell fakes the spray pass to, to the corner, and then he hits the free throw line jumper, timeout, opposing team. And it's like, Carved all right, up. There, was, up. there was nine straight points from the Lakers running the same exact action 
and Pau Gasol was basically the trigger man every single time. And that idea of I am a step ahead of you, that I see the game the way that a point guard might see the game. And I have all the skills of a wing, basically, but I'm a legit seven foot, seven foot one. And I can do anything I need to do on the court in order to beat you. It's what made Pau so special. And it's also, too, what made him, I think, the perfect player to compliment Kobe Bryant in a team coached by Phil Jackson running the triangle offense, right? Because all of those things, I think, put Pau in an optimal position to play the exact game he was born to play. And and I think if you asked Pau, he would probably tell you that that was his basketball nirvana, right? Like, forget all the championships and all the high-stakes games and, and all of the winning. If you gave him the truth serum, I would bet he would say, give me my brother, Kobe Bryant, give me Phil Jackson, give me the triangle, and we're going to be okay, right? And then you add in Lamar Odom and, and at first Trevor Ariza and then Meta and then everything else and it was just the right elixir mike and you were on the ground floor for a lot of that and i'd love to even get more of your perspective about like the kobe powell dynamic how he soldiered through not only the championship seasons where he was an integral player but the aftermath of that and the failed trade for chris paul and everything else because i think he, to me, personified what it meant to be a stand-up player in a time where things started to swirl around him in ways where, as we've seen now, like in today's game, like look at a guy like Ben Simmons and what's going on with him. Yeah, so I also still think of the way that it went down, that the Lakers even got Powell in the first place. And before that happened, so I was interviewing Kobe for the Dr. Bus piece and the subject of him coming back, you know, that that summer, right, where he thought he might go somewhere else. And he happens to be in Europe when Dr. Buss is there. And Dr. Buss flies from uh, from one major European from Italy to Barcelona. Um, and they actually meet in person or actually here, I, go back in. in um, he sent to Kobe a telegram first and then they went to meet. But so Kobe's in Barcelona and he goes to work out you know, early at the crack of dawn as, as is his want right before going out and doing whatever he is with his teammates. And so he's in this hotel gym and who's there, but Pau Gasol. And so the first thing, the thing I remember talking to Kobe about it, Kobe immediately made a crack. Like um, it was rare because Pau never w wakes up in the morning to work out. Right. Like he, he, he couldn't help himself. Uh, they always had that dynamic a little bit, you know, where Kobe was always going to push, 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 um, to try to get the best out of Pau, but he happened to be there. And then he and then Kobe goes, it was it was extremely serendipitous because Pau had been talking about how there was going to be an ownership change with uh, Michael Heisley or Heisley, uh, yeah, Michael Heisley in Memphis. And he just wanted a, a different scenario. And Kobe needed more talent like with him. And it just and it just happened to work out. And, you know, good trade uh, by Mitch, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I think that uh, that everybody can agree on that mm. from a Lakers perspective. 
right? Even though, look, Memphis got Mark, okay? Mm-hmm. They just didn't know. It worked out for them, too. Damn it, it I will die on this hill. Like, they got Mark Gasol out of that deal, yes. and they got the cap space to sign Zach Randolph. Those are arguably yes. the two best players in Grizzlies Earth, history. And, grind. I, and everybody screamed bloody murder about that trade. They made out great in that trade. Anyway, yeah. continue. And, and there's a right. You're, you're right, Pete. We definitely don't have to rehash all that now. But so, so it just it it works out. That was serendipitous in a way that it was able to even happen. And then the fact that the skill sets were going to fit so nicely and we're going to work out so well. And I just remember it, it's a little bit like what Pete said. If I understood basketball then the way that I do now, it would have been even I think more fun to watch them play together. Exactly. Phil, you know, yeah. Phil loved to Phil loved to start big, but everybody started big. So Bynum starts at the center spot. Powell starts at the four. But you could get away with that, and they were just hammer teams, and nobody really stretched them out um, up until the point where Dallas really did in the in the uh, first round, right? The year after they won the second title. So now imagine a center like teams are just thirsty for a center they can protect the rim. And make plays on the other end, right? Like Powell would be so perfect as a center now um, in his prime, but it worked out just fine because they still did close games with him usually. Um, sometimes Bynum would, but a lot of times it was Powell at the five and Lamar at the four. And what a wonderfully, like that in a way was pretty modern, the way that that team played. And and Powell could vacate the paint. It was. You know, and, and leave all that space because when they needed a bucket, Kobe would just put his head down and he could still finish over anybody. Um, at that at that stage of his career. And if he didn't, he would have drawn Pete the two to three defenders that you had mentioned. And then there was Powell, who's just came out of wherever he was at the top of the key, to, you know, just tapped it on his hand. Like it was such a beautiful um, style of basketball in hindsight. And I, I felt like those teams, maybe this is just being inside it, right? And in, in some bias coming up, but I didn't think people appreciated those teams enough for how good they were based in part because of that they lost to Boston in the fashion they did. Or that, you know, they let a couple teams hang around in the early rounds, right, before blowing them out. Whatever it was, I don't, I don't feel like those teams are looked upon um, as favorably as, as they could or they should be. Well, I want to talk about that era. I want to talk about that stretch of Powell's career between 2008 and 2010 because uh, that's the journey that he made over that course of time just says a lot about him as, as a basketball player. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
So it's the 2008 season. Andrew Bynum has busted out. I believe it's his third year. That, w- that season began with Kobe Bryant saying he'd rather play on Pluto than play with the Lakers ever again. Demanding a trade. He's, you know, depending on who you believe, very close to being traded to the Chicago Bulls. For our friend Lou Aldang. Shout out Lou Aldang. Shout out to Lou Aldang. It's a no Kobe dang, was, no Kobe, dang, no deal. No dang, hey, no deal, Darius. Hey, shout Kobe out to Pluto. Was apparently... <laughs> Shout out to Pluto still being a planet. That's right. Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, True. Those were the days, man. Kobe has said, though, that he was like, look, he was looking at schools. He was looking at houses. Like, him and Vanessa were serious, right? Like, they they were going to go to Chicago. That's what was supposed uh, to happen. That's what was supposed to happen. And then, you know, opening night comes. Kobe's still on the roster. He gets some forceful booze. Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant got some booze on opening night uh-huh. from the Staples Center crowd who was, you you know, not not that happy. There was the, could you imagine? So this is just a trip oh, down memory lane well, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the viral video of Kobe in the parking lot in like 2021 NBA oh, social God. media world like yeah. the the ship his ass out ship video. his ass out video of Bynum yeah. yes yeah oh man that would so, have been amazing anyways no this context is important though right with in terms of the talking about Powell coming to the team and we weren't supposed to be good we had just had a couple of back to back first round exits didn't make any really significant change over the course of the off season Dirk Fisher comes back. Um, but we're better than we were. We're better than we were supposed to be at the first part of the season because Andrew Bynum, all of a sudden, like he's hooping. He's a 15, 12 and two guy. And he's just this just monster in the paint. He's this, you know, uh, he's a, a poor man's shack. Right. And so there's this kind of built in. Kobe knows how to play with this type of center. And we're, you know, top three, top four seed at the first part of the season. Bynum goes down. And gets injured. And so kind of this unexpectedly good season is looking like it's, you know, we're, we're back to where we started. And then four days later, the, the Pau Gasol trade drops. And all of a sudden, like, and so it's, the reason I'm bringing this up is it was this transition year that feels very similar to this coming year. And not that it's a transition year, but like, what is this Lakers team going to be? I haven't felt that sort of electricity and buzz about like, I really don't know what they are since that team when we traded for Powell. And I remember Darius, that first game, you remember against the yes. New Jersey Nets, yes. not the Brooklyn Nets yet, the New Jersey Nets. And he comes in and I think he shot like 10 for 12. He closes out the game with one of those daggers from the mid range. And he just, it was so seamless. It was so perfect. And it was just, it looked like they'd been playing together for years. Pau Gasol showed this instant mastery of the offense. And I remember after the game, too, Phil was saying, you know, we didn't do a lot of complicated stuff, right? Pau, I don't think he had practiced with them at that point. He may have gotten, like, a shoot-around in, like, where they did some walkthroughs. And I'm sure he sat with the coaches and went over some film or met with Kobe or whatever. But the way that he seemed to understand the reads, the way that he seemed to grasp the timing and the feel of the offense, I knew after that first game, oh, 
Like that yeah. that's where the O oh. was bored for mm-hmm. me, right? Like like, like <laughs> <Nice>. oh. <laughs> oh, like this yes, dude he's he's got it. This dude's got it, right? And the idea of oh my, they're they're going to be able to do something with this dude. And I said this on well, well, online earlier, and, and and so bear with me if 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 uh, you follow me there, and now I'm repeating myself. But this idea of of Pal being able to just sort of understand how to play the game and what that actually meant, like you knew, I knew. Oh, this dude's good. I know that he has good feel. I know that he knows how to quote unquote play. Right. Which is what like those are my favorite types, types of dudes. But to see it applied on the court, Mike, where it's like, oh, this dude's making the over the head hook pass to a cutter out of weak side triangle action. Like, oh, this dude's faking the handoff and then he's hitting the blind pig bounce pass. Like, wait, like, wait, this is your first game dog like where'd all this come from <laughs> i didn't realize you had been practicing with the team since training camp like y- y- there's no way that he had just been able to come from memphis and seem to be that integrated that quickly and on a certain level it didn't make sense but after after watching the totality of pal's career like with the lakers and then afterward where i was even more invested in him it makes perfect sense because he was that level of player. He was that caliber of basketball thinker. He was one of those just unique feel players that you could throw him into any system with any set of team teammates, and he was going to find his way and and make it work. But that first night, Mike, I felt like, oh, the Lakers are onto something here, and who knows where this is going to go, but they've got potential to do something special. Well, a couple different things that you just kind of peaked my my brain, just fired off a few things. So you mentioned the first game that Powell played there. It was a six-game road trip that they had right after the trade. And they win the oh, first one, right. they lose the second yeah. one, I think, at Atlanta. Um, I, and then they win three in a row. And they close the road trip at Minnesota. And... A 24, I think, year old me (laughs) happens to be working for the Timberwolves and is sitting courtside for this game. And at the time, right, so they list in the box score, they list Lamar and Powell both as power forwards. They weren't even calling Powell a center, but it was him playing center, like next to Lamar, who could play like a guard at the four. And then, you know, D Fish and Kobe in the backcourt and Vlad Rad at the time was starting. Um, shout out to the snowboarder. <laughs> oh, man. You know, Let's Luke off the bench. Provo. Luke off the bench coming in, playing like a guard, right, on offense in a way, like Farmar, Sasha, and then Turioff. But so I so watching the team, they other teams didn't quite know how to play with that. You know, they didn't really. And I think eventually – Boston figured it out, at least to the extent, uh, and just sort of beat them with physicality. And that's when they come back with a, with a healthier reason, a healthy bonnet. But just that game itself, so Powell, and I remember this game. Like, I remember being um, at this game, and Darius, a little bit like the way that you were saying, oh, I was writing these running diaries at the time, and they were a little bit reckless. Like, I didn't, 
quite know what I was doing. I was just saying whatever I thought, right? Where now I'm a little bit more measured. And shout I out to the running diary, Mike. Like that was a different, yeah, that they, was a different era of of internet writing. My yeah, God. this is back when teams. <laughs> This is back when teams were like, hey, let's give the 24-year-old an open mic to say whatever they want when they're right in the moment. What could possibly go wrong? Yes. Well, and, and I, I will say in my own defense, nothing went wrong. Okay, I didn't say anything that, thing that stupid. But uh, it was a – and I, by the way, I stole the idea from Bill Simmons, and I just – but I did it actually live. Like he would do the running diaries of the draft and then post them the next day. I would re I would repost like on El Cid was the thing every five minutes. So I would write like a it was basically like Twitter, but I was the only one tweeting. Yes. And yes. it was the only thing yes. in the league. But I'm like, you know what? Timberwolves fans are getting this stuff live, even if there aren't that many yes. people getting it. So I'm I'm writing and it's like so Powell goes nine for eleven in that game, nineteen points, nine boards, three blocks, two steals, just destroys the wolves. And it was like Al Jefferson and Ryan Gomes and like in of because of course but he just completely overmatched them to the point where you know Kobe had his typical 29 but it was just a that was I think the part where the league didn't quite know what to do with this team and had Boston not been able to figure out with some nasty players and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and Ray Allen and like Rondo that was a nasty group and then that was what really drove Pete that next the comeback you know the next season yeah that's it is like you were just describing we were a big and physical team with skill uh so were the boston celtics and that's part of the reason why the series against them were such just it was i always talk about basketball as rock paper scissors and styles can you know one style can beat another but lose to a third this was rock versus rock those two teams being big and and physical and and again, Bynum is out. So we unexpectedly make it to the 2008 NBA Finals. That season was not supposed to, to end that way when it began. So it was a really fun year. We beat the Spurs. Well, and they, and they the skated Conference there, Finals. too. Like, they, they skated to yeah, the, they, they to the Finals. everybody, yes. Whereas Boston struggled. Mm -hmm. And so that's why everybody, I yeah. watching the league, you know, from the Timberwolves perspective, or was thinking, oh, the Lakers are going to win this. Like, just look what they did against these. And the Western Conference was the better conference, right? So we all had that in our heads, and it made – that's what – and then all of a sudden the Lakers get – this is where I get start to get annoyed, right, with, oh, they're soft, pow, soft, like, which is which – Right, was, but anyway, that's what go, I want to talk going, about. Pete. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I want to talk about is – so Bynum's out, and so we are our smaller lineup all of the time for the most part with Lamar and uh, – and, and Powell at the five. And Powell actually had some physical plays. There was, I remember, I think it was in game two, he put his shoulder right into KG's chest and just, just dunked all over him, right? And, and so, I mean, we see this amplified tenfold now in, in 2021 where narratives kind of take hold and it takes on a life of its own. And then yes. how... Right. actually true is it? it you know what i mean it's like yes. it's not that that accurate anymore and so we weren't checking cool, lineup data was, we weren't checking plus minus like we didn't really know it no, just no. seemed like yes. kevin garnett like you know growled and pow didn't or something was stupid yes that's it i think it was like Even 20 percent yeah, true maybe a little and, bit yeah, and <laughs> maybe the reason, a little bit the, yeah right like the reason the reason that i i I think there's some degree of validity to it, D, is that we saw the improvement over the couple of years. What did he add? Like, what was that journey in terms of adding enough physicality? And what did that even mean for a player like him to go from where he was to where he went to? Look, it wasn't just out of thin air and it wasn't just all narrative, right? I wrote 
at Forum Blue and Gold at the time. And this is when, shout out Kurt Heelan, this is when Kurt still ran the site. And I wrote, are the Lakers tough enough after the team lost to the Celtics in the finals? And my ultimate conclusion was, yes, I think that they are, right? But a part of that was the learning. It was the idea of this team did not know what it took collectively as a team, right? I think that if you had sent that same exact group without Bynum, without Ariza, and if they had made a deep playoff run together the year before, I think they would have been more prepared for that finals matchup against the Celtics. That's why I, that's why I brought up the beginning of the year and kind of the expectations at the beginning of it yes. is because like I I was like, "Oh, we got to the Western Conference Finals." It, oh crap, we won the Western Conference Finals like and then what Mike was saying, Boston was struggling. They won like 66 games, but I was like, "Oh shit, are we about to win a championship this yeah, year?" Like yeah, well, we had I had no expectation of that at the beginning of the season. Let, let me push back a little bit on that, okay? So the Lakers beat the Nuggets, the Jazz, and the Spurs. 4-0, 4-2, 4-1. They get to the finals. It was game, uh, let's see, what was the what was the game the Lakers go up by, like, was it 19 or something? Was this game? Um, game four. Game four? Oh, man. Okay, so. And you can already they, hear it in Pete's yeah, voice. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm like, positive it was game but four. But so, yeah. so, A, they were good enough. Like, even, this is without Bynum and Ariza. They almost, they almost, they probably should have won that, won that game. But this is also, that was a great Boston team. It just was. So yeah, I just and, don't and, buy and, this whole thing. Oh, they yeah, weren't, no, like, they like weren't quite, co- you know, like the, the, the narrative that you're, that you're pushing back and then also acknowledging. No, I just think Boston think was, was a better a team. Like, yes, but, but like to get to game six in Boston, this is like, this is my coming from the outside, like, right? So I'm not a Laker fan, sure. not associated in any yeah, we way. Get you, we get you. That's when I'm on the plane and I'm like, hold on, you guys. Like, it, it, like yo, you're, you're pretty damn was, good. You was, almost won. I will the, say, though, it, was, it we've seen, we've from, from a Laker fan's point of view, we've seen what a championship season looks like from start to end a lot of different times. And so... This one, or had we have won in two thousand eight, it would have I snuck would have up been, on it. Yeah, I, like, I would have. I would have been super surprised. It, it would have been very similar to I think what would have happened in the aftermath if the Suns had beaten the Bucks. This yes, season, good example. Right. That said, one of the feelings, well, one of the reasons, Mike, that the narr- that to me it's a little <laughs> bit more than just narrative. Suns, Bucks, who won the right? Suns? The Suns didn't have Kobe Bryant, like. You know, they didn't have a top 10 no, player no, of all look, time. Look, and then, you know what I mean? Like, and there, Kobe freaking Bryan in his, in his prime there. It wasn't like some shock if they would have been able to win the title, which they almost did. The, the feeling, you have to understand, though, Mike, that the feeling of losing that series after you had been up big in a game four and then getting absolutely boat raced in game six. Six. It left a feeling of this team's not there. Like they're not there yet. And what is wrong? Like n- not necessarily even what is wrong. What, what, are, what, the need, yes, what, what are, are the, the next steps? Yes. What are the next, what are the next steps that this oh, team needs to take in order to get there? And if you Call listen, how about getting two of their seven best players back that healthy. Kobe Bryant had that Derek Fisher had Kobe was even, he was on pow that entire summer 
right? And the idea of like, remember that next summer, it was the Olympics and Kobe was Team USA and, and Powell was playing for Spain and Spain and Team USA, they were the co-favorites basically to win the championship. And when Kobe got back after the gold medal, he took his gold medal and he hung it in in Powell's locker and all of it <laughs> uh-huh. and all of that yeah. Mike the you, Sports, you mentioned uh, this center. earlier yeah. during yeah. the pod but but I think it's important to to revisit it here is that the idea was like I'm going to push this dude as hard as I could possibly push him in order to bring out the the Black most one yes Swan. yes and, and that idea of of how how can I bring it out of him? I know he has it in him. And that was sort of the conclusion that I came to in that post that I wrote at the site. It was, I know that these dudes are going to take this experience and they are going to use it to their advantage the next season. And there is no bigger symbolism of that to me, Pete, then after the Western Conference Finals, right, in that locker room, those dudes look like they're getting the trophy. Right? Yeah, they like, wanted nothing to do with it. And, and they could, that they might as well have been, ha- like, w- like, what was being handed to them? Like, a broom and, like, one of those bags when you take your dog for a walk? It's like, oh, like, go clean up the dog shit? Like, the thing that they were, like, really looking <laughs> at was just, like, they had disdain for what was being presented to them. And I think that was obviously a ton of that was Kobe and a lot of that was Fisher. But... Oh, Powell had a huge chip on his shoulder. Powell. He heard all that talk. If you heard him in the post game after they won the title, that was one thing that was big on his mind. Was Powell, he, he like, had heard all that talk about him all, being soft all and that, all that? Remember, we talked about a few pods ago in in uh, the Basketball Gods pod about Magic Johnson and that idea of tra- of Tragic Johnson. It was Powell Gasoft for <laughs> yes. a whole season and a half, right? Because it was it was. All of that time in the lead up to the Boston series, it was like, is he tough enough? And then and then the Lakers lose. And it was that dichotomy that you mentioned, Mike, about like the snarling Kevin Garnett. And, oh, there's Euro Pal Gasol, right? Like, <laughs> right. oh, he can't stand up to him. And it was a whole nother season of that sort of just lingering over him. And when it came time, he went up against the baddest dude that you could have gone up with. It was Dwight Howard, he was basically the MVP of the league, right? And Powell went toe-to-toe with him and held and and held his own. But Mike, you were there. I'd love to get your thoughts on 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 all of this because you're now not from the outsider perspective. You're from the insider perspective now. Yeah, like, I, that's your I first floated season. in, right? I I I appeared yeah. um I just like the Lakers from Minnesota. I, so this is why I get I now get a little defensive about Powell because of this, because I spent that whole year talking to Powell about this narrative. And guess who wasn't buying it? Powell, like Powell, the nicest guy. But <laughs> but he when when this whole yeah. thing came up and when he, and if you talk about the series against the Celtics, like he's like, no, that's not it just it didn't go completely it's, like that, guys. <sighs> You know, no, he, yeah, they just take hold, man, and yeah. You know, but 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 that's what. So the, this is my point, though. I came in knowing nothing about any of this and said, 
You guys sure. are going to win sure. the title this year because <laughs> you were close and you get Ariza and Bynum. That's why they lost to Boston. Not because somebody was soft, because they didn't have enough rotation players. They had like six guys that you could trust. So they get Trevor Ariza, their star, who becomes right. the starting wing, who's tough, who hits us. They get Bynum back, which if nothing else, slots pow some so he doesn't have to do all of the dirty work. And you can use some of his skills in other places. So that's what happened to me against Boston. It wasn't because they were soft or because Powell wasn't the black swan and he was the white swan. I get it. Like Kobe and Kobe liked to use that, but Kobe knew it was a little bit BS. Okay. Kobe trusted sure. Powell. Kobe believed in Powell. And when, and when he had to come through, he would, it wasn't, here's the thing. It, it's, it wasn't seven times out of seven like Kobe, but it was definitely four out of seven. Okay, like that, that's and, what you know, he, and 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 speaking of seven, he was a great game seven player in that 2009 playoff run. We had a series yeah. against the Houston Rockets where they gave us hell. They were just a tough. They weren't as good as we were, but they were a tough matchup for us. And that ends up going seven. And in that game seven and game sevens are a whole different animal. Like yeah, you can't watch them through the same lens that you can watch other games because you have two roughly equal teams, whether it's talent or there's a matchup issue that are really familiar with each other that have like kind of ground each other to dust. And now they're equally desperate on top of all that. So game sevens are usually these physical rumbles and Powell was, you know, in that game seven against Houston, like a 21 and 16, something like that. And then the game seven, obviously the, of uh, the 2010 series. Right. But Powell had some, all of that's to say, Powell had some MF effort to him and there is a play that no one ever talks about because it was an end of the game garbage play. But it makes me laugh thinking of Powell that it was like a dick move by Powell. And he, we've always seen him as such the gentleman, right? And always uh, in that way. So it's game four against the Orlando Magic 2009 NBA Finals. We've made that great comeback to send the game to overtime. Fish hits that right wing three over Jameer Nelson to send it to OT. Then he hits the kick out three and, uh, to, to kind of clinch the game in OT. And he backpedals and smiles. And just that was the game. Every final series has a game where it's that's the deciding game, even if it's not the clinching game. That was the game that decided the 2009 NBA Finals. The last play of that game, the Lakers are up five. Someone on Orlando misses the shot, and there's like seven seconds left, and we've gotten the ball. And we advance it up court, and Orlando has conceded at this point. Like, the game is over. We're not trying to foul you to extend the game or anything like that. And Powell had leaked out on a, on a rim run, and he's standing under the basket. I think Trevor has the ball on the right sideline. And Powell's like pointing like, lob me the ball. And there's like five seconds left at this point. There's no reason to score. And if you're not familiar with basketball etiquette, one of the things that basketball doesn't have a ton of unwritten rules, although maybe some more than you might think. But one of them is if you've got the game one and you've got the ball in the last few seconds, don't try to score and especially don't try to dunk. And so you don't want to show up the other team. That's the that's the thought, at least. And so Powell is calling for the ball. Trevor throws it to him. Powell goes up to dunk it, and as this is all happening, Mikhail Pietris kind of sees what's going on, and he's, you know, defending his honor, like, what the fuck are they, are they trying to dunk on us? It, like, what is Powell doing? And so 
he runs up and he shoves Pow midair. And he's definitely like trying to send a message, but he's not as big as Pow and he doesn't really do much to him. And they land and Pow starts walking toward him. Like, I don't know what he said, but it was very, the message was very much, yeah, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And I was like, oh shit. And so, and hearing his, hearing Darius, hearing his comments after those finals, all of that and that whole thing that Mike was saying about that, like, no, that's not what actually happened. And that wanted to like, that desire to redeem himself. He did that. And and then some in that 2009 and then 2010, which, which we'll get to. The 2009 finals to me will always go down as one of the like forgotten final series, right? Kobe won five championships. And I would imagine that in terms of how memorable any of those are, it would probably be last place would probably be a tie between that one and the win over the nets, like the second, like the, the third and the three peat, right? Where it was sort of like, Oh, like we don't really remember these right like everyone (laughs) like everyone remembers when you talk about kobe everyone remembers him like telling the teammates to calm down against the pacers everyone remembers the juggernaut 2001 team and the win over the 76ers everyone remembers you know there the game seven on. over the fight yeah. like over the ones Celtics to in in 2010 but that 2009 team the team that broke through the team that finally won the championship Mike's inaugural season as a Los Angeles Laker and and if he was at his house right now I bet he could pull out his championship ring and be like yes MFers I was there too right the that that team that team was a special team and Pau Gasol and his, his performance that entire finals, like Kobe was obviously the MVP. He was obviously the team's best, best player. And, and the guy who set the tone for the franchise and for the organization and had everyone in lockstep behind him. But it's Pau man, who is always the guy who even today in my Twitter mentions, people were still sort of just like, yeah, but is he really a Hall of Fame player? Stop it. Right. right. There's still that element. There's still an element of that. Uh, So am I, because Gasol was just too good of a player to be relegated to that secondhand status or or someone who was just a contributor to a championship team. No, he was a pillar of the organization of a team that went to three straight finals that won back-to-back championships, a claim that so many other title teams cannot claim to be right. A team that actually went through the grind three straight hundred game seasons, right? And the toll that that takes on you physically and mentally. And it was, there's a strength that you need to have, mentally and physically in order to accomplish that. And that's why any talk of like being soft or not being tough, tough enough. That's why all of that stuff just goes in the garbage can to me, because you don't play in those high stakes of games. You don't win at the level that those teams won. If you're not literally at the top of the league from both a physical and mental toughness standpoint. So this is why Darius, you're you're so right. This is why I even mentioned that his rookie year, you don't come into the NBA as a Spanish kid 
and and I'll wait while we go through all the list of of uh, the greatest Spanish players in history in the NBA before that. You don't come in and average 18 and 9 and uh, like right from the jump on efficient field goal and then you don't last 17 years while doing that and you just listed some of the other accomplishments and the playoff success and we've been through it. So I just think it ties into the whole the whole way that I think about Pau and I started off by talking about what a great nice guy he is and everything but but he did have that compet like you don't you just don't get there at all to that level if you don't have that's right all kinds of competitive juice and all kinds of heart i i just think that pow is a little bit more like lebron from a person a personality standpoint than kobe and so there's there's kobe and there's jordan and then over on the other side i think to an extent you know maybe lebron's a little bit more of a bridge but lebron and this was especially in the time in cleveland he looks at the whole 82 plus the playoff run and he figures yeah. out what is going to be needed to get to that end goal. And so did Powell. Yeah. Whereas Kobe was the, I'm like, I'm bringing in Westbrook, right? And it's the guy now as we insanely as we about, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the moment here's and LeBron is some bridge somehow, or because even LeBron's sort of, uh, you know, big outlook is so damn good and talented that that player is still massively effective and impactful, but then playoff death mode, LeBron, right? That that goes to a whole different thing. And Powell could call upon a death mode. Like he did have it. Well, we and that and Mike, that's the only thing Powell, I want to say that he doesn't get credit for that. But Powell we faced those same Celtics in 2010, right? Part of the thing about 2009 is KG was hurt. And so we that was the year that if we were ever going to see a Kobe versus LeBron finals, it would have been that year. Didn't work out. We see Dwight and company. And as Darius said, Dwight Powell went toe-to-toe with MVP caliber Dwight Howard. And so, but it wasn't the Celtics. And that's part of why 2010 ending as it did with, we had won the most recent title, but the Celtics were hurt the year before. This was a rubber match of some sorts for supremacy of the end of that decade. And again, Andrew Bynum is very much limited. Now, he was able to play, but he was he was struggling. And Powell absorbed the vast majority of the center duties. But this time he came back and he was and that's the thing is some of it is, well, we had enough rotation players. Right. And so the the narrative is a little bit different. But Darius, he was able to power through adversity in a way where he was not going to be stopped. And there was an indomitability about him that we've always loved about Kobe. Powell had that too. And I think they connected on that level. And that's always what Kobe was trying to draw out of him. I think of that game seven and Powell's performance in that game seven. And it true, just, just like you said, game sevens are rock fights. They literally do come down to who is the sort of tougher team who is going to take more punishment, right? And that uh, that war of attrition is right there in front of you. And it really is survival at that point. And I look at Powell's stat line from from that game, and it's still it's still sort of astonishing, man. For him to have for him to have 18 rebounds and nine of them. Nine of them on the offensive glass. Kevin right? Garnett had three rebounds in that game. Boston as a team had 32 rebounds. Powell and Kobe uh, uh. combined 
For 33? For 33. All right? And this idea of doing whatever it takes to win, the the double clutch shot that he hit, like, did you see the tweet that, that Meta sent out today? Uh, about um, that was the harder shot, yeah. Yeah, he was just like, Pow's shot was way harder than mine, right? <laughs> Ron, Ron walked into a three-pointer as Kobe's getting sort of like quasi-double team, right? Pow, there's three dudes draped on him. Man, and he's he's shooting a double clutch shot over two over KG and Rashid Wallace, two of the premier and historically best post defenders and lengthiest. They got arms for days. And so there is Paul Paul Gasol basically hitting the shot, one of the most important shots in the series in the closing minutes of a game seven to clinch the championship over your bitter historic rivals. And the idea of, oh, the dude who just two seasons before played against this same team and he's being called soft in the aftermath of that. And then to basically out-rebound the entire front court for the, against that same same team right and clinch the championship that's why this dude is going to live forever in that's why Lakers he's going to be up in hearts, that wall right and watching that, the, the yep. statue right, right next yeah, to right yeah. next to the 24 for all of the rest of his career that's the moment and especially for laker fans like that's it that's all it all all else is even if there were something that needed to be forgiven which uh, which there was not um all else is forgiven like drinks are on us right for for the rest of his time just just for that self yeah, series right. <laughs> you know it's like it's all good if pete sees pow in a yeah. bar i don't care about pow's career earnings pete's making sure that he's not he's not spending a dime that's right um, on that's, the, uh, it's a matter of uh, yeah. it's a matter of honor that's right Pete, you and I have been Lakers fans for our entire lives, and we've seen a bunch of great players, right? And 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 more than half of the guys that are up on that whose numbers are retired for for the Lakers, we watch them play, right? We saw Kareem, we saw Magic, we saw James James Worthy and Shaq and Kobe and and Pau Gasol, right? And Pau belongs up there he was not only a great player in the nba right a la like in the same way that for his lakers career like wilt chamberlain was right like wilt was obviously one of the icons of the league and i'm not comparing pal to wilt but for their lakers career they had sort of a similar career for for the lakers not like seven or eight seasons, okay, like they did their thing, they helped win win a championship, they were instrumental. But I look at Powell in a very similar way that I look at like a James Worthy, right? Where the idea of you, you were instrumental. Like there is there is no way you win without no. this guy. And that's why he'll always belong to me and he'll there will always be a place in my heart for him 
forever and ever and ever. And I think that's true of, of Laker fans all over the world. He's a, a beloved Laker, ended their career today. Salute to Pau Gasol, looking forward to that retirement ceremony. will not be a dry eye in the building. Um, we'll be back tomorrow to cover the second Lakers preseason game. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot, the a lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Brian, unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.